0: We acknowledge with appreciation Elder Ayagi, who was released from serving as a member of the Seventy yesterday afternoon. Following their remarks, the choir will sing, Put Your Shoulder to the Wheel, and Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will be our concluding speaker. This is the 185th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the 185th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City.
1: When I was 9 years old, my white-haired, 4-foot, 11-inch maternal grandmother came to spend a few weeks with us at our home. One afternoon while she was there, my two older brothers and I decided to dig a hole in a field across the street from our house. I don't know why we did it. Sometimes boys dig holes. (laughs) We got a little dirty, but nothing that would get us into too much trouble. Other boys in the neighborhood saw just how exciting it was to dig a hole and started to help. Then we all got dirtier together. The ground was hard, so we dragged a garden hose over and put a little water in the bottom of the hole to soften up the ground. We got some mud on us as we dug, but the hole did get deeper. Someone in our group decided we should turn our hole into a swimming pool, so we filled it up with water. And being the youngest and wanting to fit in, I was persuaded to jump in and try it out. Now I was really dirty. I didn't start out planning to be covered in mud, but that's where I ended up. When it started to get cold, I crossed the street intending to walk into my house. My grandmother met me at the front door and refused to let me in. She told me that if she let me in, I would track mud into the house that she had just cleaned. So I did what any nine-year-old would do under the circumstances and ran to the back door. But she was quicker than I thought. (laughs) I got mad, stomped my feet, and demanded to come into the house, but the door remained closed. I was wet, muddy, cold, and in my childhood imagination thought I might die in my own backyard. (laughs) Finally, I asked her what I had to do to come into the house. And before I knew it, I found myself standing in the backyard while my grandmother sprayed me off with a hose. After what seemed like an eternity, my grandmother pronounced me clean and let me come into the house. It was warm in the house, and I was able to put on dry, clean clothes. With that real-life parable of sorts in mind, please consider the following words of Jesus Christ. And no unclean thing can enter into His kingdom. Therefore nothing entereth into His rest— save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood because of their faith and the repentance of all their sins and their faithfulness unto the end. Standing outside of my house, being sprayed off by my grandmother, was unpleasant and uncomfortable. Being denied the opportunity to return and be with our Father in heaven because we chose to remain in or dirty by a mud hole of sin would be eternally tragic. We should not deceive ourselves about what it takes to return and remain in the presence of our Father in Heaven. We have to be clean. Now, Before we came to this earth, we participated as spirit sons, and daughters of God in a grand council. Each of us was paying attention, and none of us fell asleep. In that council, our Father in Heaven presented a plan, and because the plan preserved our agency— and required that we learn from our own experience and not just from His, He knew we would commit sin. He also knew that sin would cause us to become unclean and unable to return to His presence, because where He lives is even cleaner than a house cleaned by my grandmother. Because our Father in Heaven loves us and has as His purpose to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life, His plan included the role of a Savior— Someone who could help us become clean no matter how dirty we have become. When our Father in Heaven announced the need for a Savior, I believe all of us turned and looked at Jesus Christ, the firstborn in the Spirit, the one who had progressed to the point of becoming like the Father. I believe all of us knew it had to be Him, that none of the rest of us could do it, but that He could and that He would. In the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross at Golgotha, Jesus Christ suffered both body and spirit, trembled because of pain, pled with His Father to take away the bitter cup from Him, and yet He still partook. Why did He do it? In His words, He wanted to glorify His Father and finish His preparations unto the children of men. He wanted to keep His covenant and make possible our return home. What does He ask us to do in return? He simply pleads with us to confess our sins and repent so that we will not have to suffer as He did. He invites us to become clean so that we are not left outside of our Father in Heaven's house. Although avoidance of sin is the preferred pattern in life, as far as the efficacy of the Atonement of Jesus Christ is concerned, it matters not what sins we have committed or how deep we have sunk into that proverbial pit. It matters not that we are ashamed or embarrassed because of the sins that, as the prophet Nephi said, so easily beset us. It matters not that once upon a time we traded our birthright for a mess of pottage. What does matter is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind so that He may know, according to the flesh, how to succor His people. What does matter is that He was willing to condescend to come to this earth and descend below all things and suffer more powerful contradictions than any man ever could. What does matter is that Christ is pleading our case before the Father, saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin, in whom thou wast well pleased. Wherefore, Father, spare these my brethren that believe on my name, that they may come unto me and have everlasting life. That is what really matters and what should give all of us renewed hope and a determination to try one more time because He has not forgotten us. I testify the Savior will never turn away from us when we humbly seek Him in order to repent. He will never consider us to be a lost because We'll never say, oh no, not you again. will never reject us because of a failure to understand how hard it is to avoid sin. He understands it all perfectly, including the sense of sorrow, shame, and frustration that is the inevitable consequence of sin. Repentance is real, and it works. It is not a fictional experience or the product of a frenzied mind. It has the power to lift burdens and replace them with hope. It can lead to a mighty change of heart that results in our having no more disposition to do evil— but to do good continually. Repentance of necessity is not easy. Things of eternal significance rarely are. But the result is worth it. As President Boyd K. Packard testified in his last address to the Seventy of the Church, The thought is this. The Savior's Atonement leaves no tracks, no traces. What it fixes is fixed. The Savior's Atonement leaves no traces, no tracks. It just heals, and what it heals stays healed, End quote. And so it is that our hope to live again with the Father depends on the Atonement of Jesus Christ, upon the willingness of the one sinless being to take upon himself in stark contrast to the demands of justice the collective weight of the transgressions of all mankind, including those sins that some sons and daughters unnecessarily choose to suffer for on their own. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we attribute greater power to the Savior's Atonement than most other people, because we know that if we make covenants, continually repent, and endure to the end, He will make us joint heirs with Him, and like Him we will receive all that the Father hath— That is an earth-shattering doctrine, and yet it is true. The Atonement of Jesus Christ makes the Savior's invitation to be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, perfectly possible, rather than frustratingly out of reach. The scriptures teach that every individual must be judged according to the holy judgment of God. On that day there will be no opportunity to hide among a larger group or point to others as an excuse for our being unclean. Gratefully, the scriptures also teach that Jesus Christ, He who suffered for our sins, who is our advocate with the Father, who calls us His friends, who loves us unto the end, He ultimately will be our judge. One of the often overlooked blessings of the Atonement of Jesus Christ is that the Father hath committed... All judgment under the sun. Brothers and sisters, if you feel discouraged or wonder if you can ever get out of the spiritual hole that you've dug or stumbled into, please remember who stands betwixt us and justice, who is filled with compassion towards the children of men, and who has taken upon himself our iniquities and transgression and satisfied the demands of justice. In other words, As Nephi did in his moment of self-doubt, simply remember in whom you have trusted, even Jesus Christ, and then repent and experience yet again a perfect brightness of hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
2: In his mortal ministry... Jesus worked such mighty miracles of healing and taught with such authority and power that the scripture says his fame went throughout all Syria and there followed him great multitudes of people. Some who saw him heal and heard him teach rejected him. Others followed him for a season but then walked with him no more. The Lord Jesus Christ was there in front of them But they did not see who he really was. They were blind, and they chose to turn away. Of them, Jesus said, I came unto my own, and my own received me not. Their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. However, there were many men and women, including his faithful apostles, who centered their lives on him. Though they struggled with worldly distractions, with confusion about what he taught, and even with fear, they believed in him, loved him, and followed him. Of them, Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Just before his suffering in Gethsemane and on Calvary, Jesus made his disciples this remarkable promise. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus fulfilled that promise. Beginning with the day of Pentecost, the disciples were blessed with the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Through faith in Christ, repentance, and obedience, the Holy Ghost became their companion, changed their hearts— and blessed them with an abiding witness of the truth. These gifts and blessings strengthened the Lord's disciples. Although the times they lived in were dangerous and confusing, they received the spiritual gift of eyes to see and ears to hear. By the power of the Holy Ghost, they began to see the truth of things as they really are, especially of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work among them. The Holy Ghost enlightened their understanding, and they heard the voice of the Lord more clearly. The gospel of Jesus Christ sunk deep into their hearts. They were steadfast and obedient. They preached the gospel with boldness and power and built up the kingdom of God. They had joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have much in common with those faithful men and women in the meridian of time. We, too, live in a time when the Lord Jesus Christ works miracles among us, including healing the sick, cleansing us from sin, changing our hearts, and opening salvation to God's children on both sides of the veil. In our time, we also have living prophets and apostles, priesthood power, spiritual gifts, and the supernal blessings of the ordinances of salvation. Our time is a dangerous time a time of great evil and temptation, a time of confusion and commotion. In these perilous times, the Lord's prophet on the earth, President Thomas S. Monson, has called us to rescue the wounded in spirit, to stand for truth with courage, and to build the kingdom of God. Whatever level of spirituality or faith or obedience we now have, it will not be sufficient For the work that lies ahead, we need greater spiritual light and power. We need eyes to see more clearly the Savior working in our lives and ears to hear his voice more deeply in our hearts. This marvelous blessing comes when we open our hearts and receive, truly receive, the Lord Jesus Christ, his doctrine, and his church into our lives. We do not have to be perfect, but we need to be good and getting better. We need to strive to live the plain and simple truths of the gospel. If we take upon us the name of Christ, act with faith in Him, to repent of our sins, keep His commandments, and always remember Him, we will receive the companionship of the Holy Ghost through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Simple obedience— brings the Spirit into our hearts. In our homes, we pray in faith, search the scriptures, and keep the Sabbath day holy. In our chapels, we partake of the sacrament and make sacred promises to our Heavenly Father in the name of Christ. In holy temples, we participate in sacred ordinances on behalf of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the veil. In our families— And in our assignments from the Lord, we reach out to others, lifting their burdens and inviting them to come unto Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know that if we will do these things, the Holy Ghost will come. We will grow spiritually and gain experience with the Holy Ghost, and He will be our companion. If we will look to Christ— and open our eyes and our ears, the Holy Ghost will bless us to see the Lord Jesus Christ working in our lives, strengthening our faith in Him with assurance and evidence. We increasingly will see all of our brothers and sisters the way God sees them, with love and compassion. We will hear the Savior's voice in the scriptures, in the whisperings of the Spirit, and in the words of the living prophets. We will see the power of God resting upon His prophet and all the leaders of His true and living Church, and we will know with assurity that this is God's holy work. We will see and understand ourselves and the world around us the way the Savior does. We will come to have what the Apostle Paul called the mind of Christ. We will have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we will build the kingdom of God. Life may get hard, confusing, painful, and discouraging. I bear you my witness that through the companionship of the Holy Ghost, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will cut through the confusion, the pain, and the darkness, whether it comes in a remarkable burst or in a gentle flow. That glorious spiritual power will infuse healing love and comfort into the repentant, wounded soul, dispel darkness with the light of truth, and cast out discouragement with hope in Christ. We will see these blessings come, and we will know by the witness of the Spirit that it is the Lord Jesus Christ working in our lives. Our burdens truly will be swallowed up in the joy of our Redeemer. An experience my mother and father had many years ago illustrates the importance and power of eyes to see and ears to hear. In 1982, my parents were called to serve in the Philippines Devout Mission. When my mother opened the letter and saw where they were called, she exclaimed to my father, No, you've got to call them and tell them we can't go to the Philippines. They know you have asthma. My father had suffered with asthma for many years, and my mother was very worried about him. A few nights later, my mother woke up my dad at about 2.30 a.m. She said, Merlin, did you hear that voice? No, I didn't hear any voice. Well, I've heard the same voice three times tonight, saying, why are you worried? Don't you know? That I know he has asthma. I will take care of him and I will take care of you. Get yourself ready to serve in the Philippines. My mother and father served in the Philippines and had a marvelous experience. The Holy Ghost was their companion and they were blessed and protected. My father never had any problems with his asthma. He served as the first counselor in the mission presidency and he and my mother train hundreds of missionaries and thousands of faithful Latter-day Saints in preparation for the coming of wards and stakes on the island of Mindanao. They were blessed with eyes to see and ears to hear. Brothers and sisters, I bear witness of Jesus Christ. I know He lives. He is our Savior and Redeemer. I know that if we receive Him into our lives and live the plain and simple truths of His gospel— we will enjoy the companionship of the Holy Ghost. We will have the precious gift of eyes to see and ears to hear. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. On March 11,
3: 2011, I was standing on a platform in the Tokyo Shinagawa train station to visit Japan-Kobe mission. At approximately 2.46 p.m., a nine-point magnitude massive earthquake struck. I was not able to stand because of the intense shaking, and I held, held tightly to a stair rail. Lights nearby ceiling began falling to the floor. All of Tokyo was in a panic. Fortunately, I was not injured. And four hours later, I was relieved to learn that my entire family was safe. On television, there was a stream of terrifying, shocking footage. A massive tsunami surged into the Sendai Mission area, sweeping away everything in its path, cars, houses, factories, and fields. I would stand by the tragic images and I wept, and I fervently prayed that our family fathers' protection and assistance would be upon the people on living this er- region that I saw their relab. Later, it was confirmed that all the missionaries and church members were safe. However, many members were affected, losing their families, members, homes and household positions. Over 20,000 people perished, communities were destroyed, and many people were forced to leave their homes as a result of a nuclear power plant accident. Disasters such as this are wreaking havoc in many parts of the world today, causing much loss of life. We are warned that disasters, wars, and countless difficulties in the world will occur. When trials such as this suddenly come upon us, we may be questioned, Why do things happen to me? Or why do I have to suffer? For a long period after I converted to the gospel, I didn't have a clear answer to the question. Why am I given trials? I understood the part of the plan of salvation that will be tested, However, in reality, when it came to this question, I did not have a conviction that was powerful enough to adequately answer it. But there came a time in my life when I, too, experienced a major trial. When I was 30 years old, I was visiting the Nagoya mission as a part of my work. After the meeting, mission president kindly of rearranged for elders to drive me to the airport. However, as we reached the intersection at the bottom of a long hill, a large truck came bearing down from behind us at great speed. It rammed into the rear of our car and propelled it forward more than 70 feet. The terrifying part of all this Was there was no driver. The rear of our car was compacted to half of its original size. Fortunately, both the elders and I survived. However, on the following days, I began experiencing pain in my neck and shoulders and developed a severe headache. From that day, I couldn't sleep and I was forced to live each day with both physical and mental pain. I prayed to God to please heal my pain, but these symptoms lingered on for about 10 years. At this time, feeling of doubt also began creeping in my mind, and I wondered, why do I have to suffer this much pain? However, Even though the kind of healing I sought was not granted, I strived to be faithful in keeping God's commandments. I continued to pray that I would be able to resolve the questions I I had about my trials. There came a time when I found myself struggling with a few additional personal issues, and I was agitated because I did not know how to cope with this new trial. I was praying for an answer, but I didn't receive an answer right away. So I went and talked with the trusted church leaders. As we were talking with love in his voice, he said, Brother Aoyagi, isn't your purpose for being on this earth to experience this trial? Isn't it to accept all the trials of this life for what they are and then leave the rest up to the Lord? Don't you think that this problem will be resolved when we are resurrected? When I heard these words, I felt the Spirit of the Lord very strongly. I had heard this doctrine countless times, But the eyes of my understanding had never been opened to the extent they were at this time. I understood this was the answer that I had been seeking from the Lord in my prayers. I was able to clearly comprehend our Heavenly Father's plan of salvation, and I understood and knew these important principles. In Abraham, the Lord's goal declared, And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. It is that the God who created the heavens and the the earth knows the grand design of this earth and that he has dominion over all things in the heavens and the earth. And that in order to bring to pass the plan of salvation, he provides us with many different experiences, that is to say, trials, while we were on this earth. And the Lord said the following to Joseph Smith, Know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Therefore, Hold on thy way, for God shall be with you forever and ever. The trials of this earth, including illness and death, are the part of the plan of salvation and are inevitable experiences. It is necessary for us to hold on thy way and accept our trials with faith. However, the purpose of our lives is not merely to endure trials. Heavenly Father sent his beloved Son Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Redeemer, so we could overcome the trials we face on this earth. In order to in other words, he makes our weak things become strong. He atones for our sins and our imperfections, and he makes it possible for us to obtain immortality, and eternal life. President Henry, Henry B. Eyring stated, But the test a loving God has set before us is not to see if we can endure difficulty. It is to see if we can endure it well. We pass the test by showing that we remember him and the commandments he gave us. Hold on thy way. Is a key choice during times of trial. Turn one's heart to God, especially when we face trials. Humbly obey the commandments of God. Show faith to reconcile one's wishes with the will of God. Let's now think. Uh, let's now consider that rear-end uh, collision in Nagoya. I could have died in that accident. Nevertheless, through the Lord's grace, miraculously, I survived. And I know that my suffering was for my uh, learning and for my growth. Heavenly Father schooled me to temper my patience, to develop empathy and to comfort those who were suffering. Realizing this, my heart was filled with feeling of thankfulness towards my Heavenly Father for this trial. Put God first, regardless of the trials you faith. Love God, have faith in Christ, and entrust yourself to Him in all things. Molonai makes the following promise to such people And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ i sincerely testify that the god father and his beloved son jesus christ live and that god promises to those who hold on thy way and love him will be fulfilled even in the midst of trials in the sacred name of jesus christ amen
4: In 1996, President Gordon B. Hinckley appeared on the national television news program, 60 Minutes. Mike Wallace, an experienced and tenacious journalist, interviewed President Hinckley about a number of important topics. Near the end of their conversation, Mr. Wallace remarked, There are those who say this is a gerontocracy. This is a church run by old men. President Hinckley responded cheerfully and without hesitation, Isn't it wonderful (laughs) to have a man of maturity at the head, a man of judgment who is not blown about by every wind of doctrine? My purpose is to explain why indeed it is wonderful to have older men of great spiritual maturity and judgment serving in the senior leadership positions Of the restored Church of Jesus Christ, and why we should hear and hearken to the teachings of these men, whom the Lord has chosen to bear testimony of His name among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. I pray we may all be instructed by the Holy Ghost as we consider together this significant subject. I speak about this topic from a decidedly distinctive perspective— For the last 11 years, I have been the youngest member of the Twelve in terms of chronological age. During my years of service, the average age of the men serving in the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has been 77 years—the oldest average age of the Apostles over an 11-year interval in this dispensation. I have been blessed by the collective apostolic, personal, and professional experience and insight of the quorum members with whom I serve. An example from my association with Elder Robert D. Hales highlights the remarkable opportunities I have to learn from and serve with these leaders. Several years ago, I spent a Sunday afternoon with Elder Hales in his home as he was recovering from a serious illness. We discussed our families, our quorum responsibilities, and important experiences— At one point I asked, Elder Hales, you have been a successful husband, father, athlete, pilot, business executive, and Church leader. What lessons have you learned as you have grown older and been constrained by decreased physical capacity? Elder Hales paused for a moment and responded, When you cannot do what you have always done, then you only do what matters most. I was struck by the simplicity and comprehensiveness of his answer. My beloved apostolic associate shared with me a lesson of a lifetime—a lesson learned through the crucible of physical suffering and spiritual searching. The limitations that are the natural consequence of advancing age can, in fact, become remarkable sources of spiritual learning and insight— The very factors many may believe limit the effectiveness of these servants can become some of their greatest strengths. Physical restrictions can expand vision. Limited stamina can clarify priorities. Inability to do many things can direct focus to a few things of greatest importance. Some people have suggested younger, more vigorous leaders are needed in the Church to address effectively the serious challenges of our modern world. But the Lord does not use contemporary philosophies and practices of leadership to accomplish His purposes. We can expect the President and other senior leaders of the Church will be older and spiritually seasoned men. The Lord's revealed pattern of governance by councils in His Church provides for and attenuates the impact of human frailties. Interestingly, the mortal limitations of these men actually affirm the divine source of the revelations that come to and through them. Truly, these men are called of God by prophecy. I have observed in my brethren at least a part of the Lord's purpose for having older men of maturity and judgment serve in senior leadership positions of the Church. These men have had a sustained season of tutoring by the Lord, whom they represent, serve, and love. They have learned to understand the divine language of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's patterns for receiving revelation. These ordinary men have undergone a most extraordinary developmental process that has sharpened their vision, informed their insight, engendered love for people from all nations and circumstances, and affirmed the reality of the Restoration. I have witnessed repeatedly my brethren striving diligently to fulfill and magnify their responsibilities while struggling with serious physical problems. These men are not spared from affliction. Rather, they are blessed and strengthened to press forward valiantly while suffering in and with affliction. Serving with these representatives of the Lord, I have come to know their greatest desire is to discern and do the will of our Heavenly Father and His Beloved Son. Counseling with my brethren, inspiration has been received and decisions have been made that reflect a degree of light and truth far beyond human intelligence, reasoning, and experience. Working together in unity on perplexing problems, our collective understanding of an issue has been enlarged in marvelous ways by the power of the Holy Holy Ghost. I am blessed to observe on a daily basis the individual personalities, capacities, and noble characters of these leaders. Some people find the human shortcomings of the Brethren troubling and faith-diminishing. For me, those imperfections are encouraging and faith-promoting. I have now witnessed six of my Brethren receive a transfer through physical death to, the res- to new responsibilities in the spirit world. President James E. Faust, President Gordon B. Hinckley, Elder Joseph B. Worthlin, Elder L. Tom Perry, President Boyd K. Packer, and Elder Richard G. Scott. These valiant brethren devoted their whole souls to testifying of the name of Jesus Christ in all the world. The totality of their teachings is priceless. These servants shared with us in the concluding years of their mortal ministries powerful spiritual summaries of lessons learned through decades of consecrated service. These leaders imparted truths of great worth at a time when some may believe they had the least to give. Consider the final teachings of great prophets in the scriptures. For example, Nephi concluded his record with these words: "For thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey." Near the end of his life, Jacob admonished, "Repent ye, and enter in at the straight gate, and continue in the way which is narrow until ye shall obtain eternal life. O oh, be wise. What can I say more? Moroni completed his work of preparing the plates with a hopeful anticipation of the Resurrection. I soon go to rest in the Paradise of God until my spirit and body shall again reunite, and I am brought forth triumphant through the air to meet you before the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah, the Eternal Judge of both quick and dead. Brothers and sisters, you and I are blessed— to learn from the benedictory teachings and testimonies of Latter-day Prophets and Apostles. The names today are not Nephi, Jacob, and Moroni, but President Faust, President Hinckley, Elder Worthlin, Elder Perry, President Packer, and Elder Scott. I am not suggesting the final messages of these beloved men necessarily were the most noteworthy or important of their ministries. However, the sum of their spiritual learning and life experiences enabled these leaders to emphasize eternal truths with absolute authenticity and great penetrating power. In his last General Conference address in April of 2007, President Faust declared, The Savior has offered to all of us a precious peace through His Atonement. But this can come only as we are willing to cast out negative feelings of anger, spite, or revenge. Let us remember that we need to forgive to be forgiven with all my heart and soul. I believe in the healing power that can come to us as we follow the counsel of the Savior to forgive all men. President Faust's message is a powerful lesson of a lifetime from a man I love and one of the most forgiving men I have ever known. President Hinckley testified in his last general conference in October of 2007. He said, I affirm my witness of the calling of the Prophet Joseph, of his works, of the sealing of his testimony with his blood, as a martyr to the eternal truth. You and I are faced with the stark question of accepting the truth of the first vision and that which followed it. On the question of its reality lies the very validity of this Church. If it is the truth, and I testify that it is, then the work in which we are engaged is the most important work on the earth. President Hinckley's witness affirms a powerful lesson of a lifetime from a man I love and no was a prophet of God. Elder Wirthlund delivered his final General Conference message in October of 2008. He said, I still remember my mother's advice given to me long ago on that day when my team lost a football game. Come what may and love it. Adversity, if handled correctly, can be a blessing in our lives. As we look for humor, seek for the eternal perspective, understand the principle of compensation, and draw near to our Heavenly Father. We can endure hardship and trial. We can say, as did my mother, come what may and love it. Elder Worthlin's message is a powerful lesson of a lifetime from a man I love. And who was a living sermon of overcoming difficulties through faith in the Savior. Elder Perry stood at this pulpit just six months ago. At that time, we could not have imagined his testimony would be his last in a general conference. Can you hear his voice? Let me close by bearing witness, and my nine decades on this earth fully qualify me to say this that the older I get, the more I realize that family is the center of life and is the key to eternal happiness. I give thanks for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren, and for extended family who make my own life so rich and, yes, even eternal. Of this eternal truth, I bear my strongest and most sacred witness— Elder Perry's message is a powerful lesson of a lifetime from a man I love and who understood through vast experience the essential relationship between family and eternal happiness. President Packer emphasized in General Conference six months ago the Father's plan of happiness, the Savior's Atonement, and eternal families, said he. I bear witness that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. He stands at the head of the Church. Through His Atonement and the power of the priesthood, families which are begun in mortality can be together through the eternities. I am so grateful for the Atonement which can wash clean every stain, no matter how difficult or how long or how many times repeated the Atonement can put you free again to move forward cleanly and worthily. President Packer's final message is a lesson of a lifetime from a man I love and who emphatically and repeatedly declared that the purpose of all activity in the Church is to see that a man and a woman with their children are happy at home, sealed together for time, and all eternity. Elder Scott proclaimed in his last General Conference talk in October 2014, he taught, We came to mortal life precisely to grow from trials and testing. Challenges help us become more like our Father in Heaven, and the Atonement of Jesus Christ makes it possible to endure those challenges. I testify that as we actively come unto Him, we can endure every temptation, every heartache, every challenge we face. Elder Scott's message is a powerful lesson of a lifetime from a man I love and a beloved special witness of the name of Christ in all the world. Brothers and sisters, the Savior declared, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. May we hear and heed the eternal truths taught by the Lord's authorized representatives. As we do so, I promise our faith in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ will be fortified and we will receive spiritual guidance and protection for our specific circumstances and needs. With all the energy of my soul, I witness the resurrected and living Christ directs the affairs of His restored and living Church through His servants who have been chosen to bear testimony of His name. I so testify In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.
0: At the conclusion of the conference, we express gratitude to our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for the outpouring of the Spirit which we have felt for all that has been said and done. We express sincere appreciation to all who have worked so diligently to prepare for these services. We thank all those who have spoken and those who have provided the uplifting music. The choir will now close this conference by singing, Love One Another. The benediction will then be offered By Elder Scott D. Whiting of the Seventy. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for your faithful and righteous lives. May the Lord bless and sustain you.
5: Our dear Father in Heaven, we love Thee, and we love Thy Son. We come before Thee at the close of this, the 185th semiannual General Conference, with great gratitude in our hearts, Father, for the opportunity that we've had to sit at the feet of prophets, seers, and revelators. We are grateful for the health and strength of President Monson, for his prophetic mantle, we're grateful for the revelation that we have seen as three new special witnesses of the name of Thy Son have been called, and we pray a blessing to be upon them and their families, and also upon the families of the core members whom they will now associate with. We are mindful of those who have departed. We love them. We pray a blessing of comfort and strength to be upon their families. Father, this is thy holy day. This is thy Sabbath. It has been a delight unto us. And we pray that this conference and our worship here
6: will be received as a sign.